All right, we're on the next to last lecture. So I brought in figure 10.8 in the book on page 343, which illustrates the changes in blood pressure throughout the systemic circulation. And it also shows uh, or highlights the systolic and diastolic pressures that occur in, right, systolic pressures being the peak pressure here, the diastolic pressure being the minimum pressure in the arteries. And this is uh, showing, right, from the left ventricle through the systemic circulation, the pressures uh, in these vessels. Now, the arteries that are illustrated here, really, this should be the aorta, large arteries, and small arteries, rather than just saying arteries because the arterioles are also arteries. And it is in these pressure reservoir vessels where we have the pulse pressure. Because of the uh, alternating contraction and relaxation of the left ventricle. Right. The left ventricular pressures change much more um, as we went over in the cardiac cycle. But uh, the pulse pressure then is typically around 40 millimeters of mercury. But as you see over the course of, as blood moves through the arterioles, which are the next set of vessels, the pulse pressure gradually decreases. So if you see uh, the systolic and diastolic pressure uh, become closer together. So the pulse pressure gradually diminishes so that by the end of the arterioles, there is effectively no pulse pressure. Oops. All right, so out here through the capillaries the venules and the veins, there's no pulse pressure. And the reason that the pulse pressure diminishes, disappears over the length of the arterioles is because of the high resistance of the arterioles, which dissipates that pulse pressure. And we'll talk more about resistance in just a few minutes. Now, the mean arterial pressure, right, MAP, is shown by the solid line. This mean pressure is the average pressure in the arteries, right, the, the, the aorta, large arteries, and small arteries, over the course of multiple cardiac cycles. So that mean pressure stays relatively constant. Now, there is also mean arterial pressure in the arterioles, but as you see, what happens in the arterioles is that that mean pressure rapidly drops off. So at the end of the aorta, large and small arteries, the pressure is about 90 millimeters of mercury, the mean pressure at this point. But by the end of the arterioles, 
the mean pressure is only about 35 millimeters of mercury. And that large drop in pressure is also because of the high resistance of the arterioles. So this is also a function of the high resistance of the arterioles. Now, there's a further drop in just blood pressure beyond uh, or across the capillaries. So from the beginning to the end of the capillaries, the pressure drops to about 15 millimeters of mercury. And then over the course of the venules, it drops to about 5 millimeters of mercury. And uh, beyond that, in the small and large veins, there's not much of a further decrease. All right, so that figure then, um, it's useful just to illustrate how blood pressure changes throughout the systemic circulation. All right, so now let's move on to talk about um, blood flow. And you can find inf information about this starting on page 337. So we're going to talk about factors affecting blood flow, which we'll abbreviate with a capital F. And keep in mind that flow is uh, important in the cardiovascular system. I've mentioned this because it reflects the rate of nutrient delivery to a tissue. And this can be displayed as uh, mathematically as the product of blood flow to a tissue multiplied by the concentration of the nutrient, any nutrient in the blood. Right? The nutrient could be glucose, could be any amino acid or fatty acid. In terms of the units here, blood flow is given in milliliters of blood flowing through a vessel per minute, multiplied by a nutrient concentration. If we express concentration as the nanomoles of nutrient per milliliter of blood, then the products of these, right, the volume units cancel out. We get nanomoles of nutrient being delivered to a tissue per minute. So in this way, blood flow indirectly reflects that rate of nutrient delivery. And that rate of delivery is crucial for uh, supporting the metabolic needs of all the tissues in the body. All right, factors affecting flow then. The first factor is blood pressure, which is why we talked about pressure and why it's so important. Flow is directly proportional to blood pressure. So the higher the blood pressure, 
the greater the flow rate. And that pressure it's, is what is driving flow through all these systemic um, blood vessels. Now, the second factor, which is a factor which uh, impedes blood flow, is what's called resistance, which we're going to abbreviate with a capital R. And you can view resistance as a frictional force which impedes blood flow. So the higher the resistance, the lower the flow rate. Therefore, flow is inversely proportional to resistance. We can make an exact equality of this and say that blood flow through any blood vessel is equal to the pressure of the blood divided by the resistance offered to blood flow. So this is going to be important as we proceed. Now, we've talked about the factors that determine pressure. So let's talk about factors that affect or and determine resistance. Keep in mind that just in terms of the notations, when we talk about resistance, I use a capital R. If we're talking about a vessel radius, I'm using a lowercase r. So don't confuse those, re resistance and radius. So the first factor that determines resistance is the blood viscosity. Viscosity just simply refers to the thickness of the blood. And more generally, right, we could call this the fl fluid viscosity if we were referring to flow of some different fluid through um, a tube. Blood viscosity is, in physiology, is abbre abbreviated with the Greek symbol ate, which is denoted like this. So that's uh, how blood viscosity is abbreviated. Now, the higher the viscosity of the blood, the greater the resistance to flow. Therefore, resistance is directly proportional to the thickness of the blood. Second factor is the vessel length, which we will abbreviate with a capital L. The longer the length of a blood vessel, the more resistance to flow. So resistance is directly proportional to vessel length. And the third factor is vessel radius, small r. The smaller the radius of a vessel, the higher the resistance. Therefore, these are inversely proportional. Resistance is inversely proportional to the radius. And it's not just inversely proportional to the radius, but it's inversely proportional to the radius raised to the fourth power. So there is a very pronounced relationship between radius and resistance. If you think about this, if, there, if the radius changes by a factor of two, 
So let's say the radius doubles, then that's going to affect the resistance by a factor of 16-fold. So very small changes in radius can have a very pronounced influence on resistance. Notably here, fluid blood viscosity and vessel length under most physiological conditions, these remain constant, so they're not changing with time. All right, vessel length is constant once uh, you reach adulthood. Vessel length no longer changes. Blood viscosity, it can vary to some degree. If you are severely dehydrated, that can increase blood viscosity. But even with those changes, those changes are fairly minimal. So for the most part, viscosity remains constant. Now, these contribute to overall resistance, but uh, they don't contribute to changes in resistance to blood flow. Now, this is different from vessel radius. Vessel radius is subject to acute changes, which can then acutely change resistance. And this is particularly and most prominently true for the arterioles. So the arterioles have a very thick, smooth muscle layer. And the contraction state of that smooth muscle can affect resistance, or sorry, can affect the radius and therefore affect the resistance. So this contraction can vary. acutely due to different physiological factors. To change the radius and therefore resistance. So we're going to talk quite a bit about in the time we have left anyway, how the arterial resistance can change and the impact that that has on um, blood flow, as well as cardiovascular system function. So we can put these factors together into an exact equality and say that resistance is equal to 8 over pi, and this is a proportionality constant, times blood viscosity times vessel length, divided by the radius raised to the fourth power. So here is our equation for the determinants of resistance. And physiologically, this term here can change acutely due to different physiological factors. All right, so when we go back to flow equals pressure divided by resistance, we've talked about the determinants of pressure in any vessel, 
as being volume of blood contained within the vessel divided by the compliance of the vessel. And now we know that the deter determinants of resistance are blood viscosity, vessel length, and radius to the fourth power. So there is a hierarchy here that is important to understand. Factors affecting resistance, which in turn can then affect blood flow. Factors affecting pressure here, which can in turn affect blood flow. So we need to keep these straight. Now let me get back to acute changes in vessel radius, particularly for the arterioles. When the radius of an arteriole decreases, we refer to this as um, vasoconstriction. Vasoconstriction occurs when there's an increase in the smooth muscle contraction within the arteriole. The net effect of this contraction is the, that muscle layer, it squeezes on the underlying connective tissue and endothelial layer, and that reduces the radius. So this decreases the radius of the arteriole, leading to an increase in resistance and therefore a decrease in blood flow through the, the, through the arteriole. Now the alternative term is called vasodilation, which is just the opposite, where there's a decrease in smooth muscle contraction leading to an increase in the radius of the arteriole, decreasing the resistance, and increasing blood flow. And I'll bring in this figure in the book here, which shows this. This is figure 10-9 in the book. On page 344. And this is in section 10-3, which is on the arterioles. There's a whole section just devoted to these blood vessels because they're so important to the cardiovascular system, to understanding how the cardiovascular system functions. All right, so here in part C, they're showing what vasoconstriction does to the radius versus part D, the vasodilation. And we're gonna talk more about 
the physiological factors which can cause vasoconstriction and vasodilation. The first image here in A is illustrating the smooth muscle layer within the wall of the arteriole, showing how the smooth muscle cells wrap around um, the blood vessel so that when they contract, it causes constriction of the radius. All right. Now I want to talk about, put these concepts into context, particularly blood flow. And there are really three important uh, flows in the cardiovascular system that we're going to need to distinguish. All right, the first of these is flow to a systemic tissue. And I'll just call this flow to flow to a tissue. All right, this is blood flowing from the pressure reservoir vessels through the arterioles to the capillaries of a tissue. through the tissue capillaries. The second important blood flow is flow to the heart. Now this is blood that is flowing through the systemic veins back to the right atrium, right? What we call venous return. We've talked about this flow, venous return. Now, a third flow is flow out of the heart. And flow out of the heart is cardiac output. All right, so we can distinguish between these three different flows. The first two flows here are subject to the flow is pressure pressure divided by resistance. These two flows, right, the rate of these flows are determined by this equation. So this equation is relevant for both of these. Flow out of the heart is cardiac output, and we know that this flow, cardiac output, is equal to heart rate times stroke volume. Flow out of the heart, then, right, this, depends on cardiac activity. Heart rate and stroke volume. So it is a flow, but the determinants of the flow out of the heart are different from the de determinants of flow to a tissue or flow back to the heart. 
Now let's illustrate this in a diagram just to show how the blood vessels integrate with the heart and these three different flows. I'm gonna start with the systemic pump, the left atrium and the left ventricle. And the activity of this pump then pumps a flow out into the aorta, the large arteries, and small arteries. This is our single functional group of blood vessels that we call the pressure reservoir vessels. And it's within these vessels where we calculate mean arterial pressure. So here's our flow out of the heart, cardiac output. Flow out of the heart. Then we have blood flowing out to the tissues, and this involves blood flowing through the arterioles. And let's say we have arterioles in, in tissue number one. The arterioles, we'll call this tissue number two. And I'm not going to draw any more of these, but all right, there are multiple systemic tissues. Tissue number one could be uh, the skin. Tissue number two could be the kidneys right, or the stomach. So we could draw a series of different arterioles found in different tissues. To keep it simple, we'll only draw two of these. Then the blood that flows through the arterioles goes through the capillaries. For tissue one. And capillaries for tissue two. And these capillaries ultimately fuse back together through the venules and the veins. So now we are in the systemic veins. Where that blood flows to the pulmonary pump right atrium and the right ventricle, which then pumps the blood into the pulmonary circulation. Which then sends the blood back to the left side of the heart. So here's our simple diagram of the blood vessels and illustrating the flows in uh, through the cardiovascular system. And let me use actually a different color here for these, just to highlight this. Cardiac output then is one flow. As I said, this is flow out of the heart. 
Now, cardiac output is also on the right side, occurs on the pulmonary pump, so we could also list cardiac output here. And the flow to the tissues is this flow, the blood that flows from the pressure reservoir vessels through the arterioles into the capillaries. Here's where we have flow to the tissue, All right? Now, venous return or flow to the heart is this flow here. So here's our flow to the heart, venous return. few things to point out here. Flow to the tissue. So flow is pressure divided by resistance, right? Let's specifically put the pressure that we're talking about when we talk about flow to the tissue. The pressure that is driving flow to the tissue is the pressure in the pressure reservoir vessels, which is the mean arterial pressure. So the important pressure is mean arterial pressure. That mean pressure is what is driving blood flow into every systemic tissue. Flow to each tissue then depends upon this constant high mean pressure. Now the resistance term The resistance to flow to a tissue is, occurs right here at the arterioles. So we're going to put resistance of the arterioles within each tissue is going to be the main factor hindering uh, blood flow into that tissue. All right, so this is going to be our specific flow equation for flow to a tissue. Now, flow to the heart, venous return, is also pressure divided by resistance. But here, the pressure term is the pressure in the systemic veins divided by the resistance of the systemic veins. All right, so here are our three different flows. And again, cardiac output, we said is a function of equals heart rate times stroke volume, heart rate times stroke volume. Now, if you remember, I said that we talked about, I, well, I highlighted some function of the arterioles. The ones that are most important are that the arterioles have a role in regulating mean arterial pressure. They have a role in controlling blood flow. 
and specifically blood flow to a systemic tissue. And they also have a role in determining the distribution of cardiac output. As well as in, as I said earlier, dissipating pulse pressure. And lastly, just to reiterate, uh, they have a role in establishing mean arterial pressure. All of these important functions of the arterioles, and the ones that we're most going to focus on are numbers one and two, but all of these are a consequence of First, uh, the inherently high resistance of the arterioles. And second, the fact that the resistance of the arterioles can acutely change. due to uh, various factors that affect the contraction state of the smooth muscle. So factors affecting the arterial smooth muscle. So the arterioles are placed, if you look at their location here, right, they are sandwiched in between the pressure reservoir vessels that are upstream and the capillaries, which are downstream. And remember, it's at the capillaries where the nutrient and waste exchange occur within a tissue, primarily, between the blood and the tissue interstitial fluid. So they're sandwiched in between these two vessels, the pressure reservoir vessels and the capillaries. And because of their high resistance then, they have a major impact on dictating the rate of blood flow to each systemic tissue. And not only that, we'll talk about how the arterioles have a role in controlling blood flow to a tissue, but also in regulating mean arterial pressure. Now, it turns out that the arterioles, as a group, have the highest resistance of any group of blood vessels in the systemic circulation. So arterioles are considered the highest resistance vessels in the systemic circulation. Now that may seem odd given that the capillaries have a lower radius, right? Each capillary is smaller radius than the arterioles. 
but as a group of vessels, so we're not just considering one, but all of them as a group, then the arterioles have a higher resistance. And the reason for this is that, remember, blood vessels, each group of blood vessels are arranged in a parallel fashion. And parallel resistors, if you add more and more blood vessels in parallel, the overall resistance begins to decrease. So there are many more numerous capillaries compared to the arterioles. And as a result of this, the overall resistance of, to blood flow in the capillaries as a group is less than the resistance of the arterioles as a group. Therefore, the arterioles are considered the high resistance blood vessels in the circulation. And that inherently high resistance coupled with the ability of the resistance to be altered is what's crucial for how they function in regulating mean arterial pressure and controlling blood flow to each tissue. What we want to do then in the rest of our time is understand uh, how the arterioles fit in to do both of these things. So before we get into this any further, there's one other thing I want to mention that you maybe have picked up on and maybe not. So I'm going to come back up here. Uh, when I talked about vasoconstriction and vasodilation, I said, when the arterioles undergo vasoconstriction, that is because of a greater contraction of the smooth muscle, which decreases the radius, increases resistance to decrease blood flow. Now that is somewhat contradictory to what I said earlier for the veins, if you remember. Remember when I talked about uh, venous return and factors which affect venous return can affect in diastolic volume. And here I said that when norepinephrine binds to alpha-1 adrenergic receptors in the systemic veins, I said that there's an increase in venous smooth muscle contraction When this occurs, this leads to an increase in venous return. That means that we have an, right, an increase in blood flow back to the heart. Right, that is opposite of what's happening in the arterioles, where increased contraction decreases flow, not increases it. What's the difference then in the veins versus the arterioles? 
In the systemic veins, when the smooth muscle contracts, there is no effect on the radius of the veins. So smooth muscle does not affect um, the radius of the systemic veins. My time's up here. So let me just finish this thought. So what is it that happens when the smooth muscle contracts in the veins to increase blood flow to the heart? Well, it turns out that contraction of the venous smooth muscle, it stiffens the wall of the vein And what we know about a more stiff vessel is that it has a lower compliance. Therefore, it decreases venous compliance. Because pressure and compliance are inversely proportional, this is going to increase venous pressure, venous blood pressure. Venous blood pressure increases, then that's going to increase venous return. So the critical thing is that uh, the venous smooth muscle affects the compliance of the veins rather than affecting the resistance of the veins. All right, I'll stop here and we'll continue on in part two. All right, let's continue on with lecture 22. So I've put in here figure 10-2 in the book on page 337 on the left, and that illustrates the uh, relationship between flow and pressure. So that's over here on the left. Figure 10.3 on page 338 then is showing the relationship between resistance and the vessel radius. So you can look at those two figures as uh, further support for what we talked about in terms of flow being pressure divided by resistance and what the determinants of resistance are. Now, I also have redrawn my simple circuit of the cardiovascular system, which illustrates the three flows that I referred to that are important to understand. The cardiac output on the left side of the heart, the systemic pump, as well as on the pulmonary pump, which is a function of heart rate and stroke volume. Then we have flow to all these systemic tissues. Pan out a little bit here. Right. Flow to each systemic tissue, which is a function of the mean arterial pressure divided by the resistance of the arterioles within that specific tissue. And then we have flow back to the heart, which is venous return. So the arterioles are key in controlling blood flow, and you can see why that is given that the resistance of the arterioles is going to affect flow to a tissue. So the other important thing is the role of the arterioles in regulating mean arterial pressure. Now keep in mind that mean arterial pressure, I said, is tightly regulated. about a set point, meaning it doesn't change appreciably 
Over here then, mean pressure is the pressure within the pressure reservoir vessels, the aorta, large arteries, small arteries. That pressure we can mathematically uh, describe as being a function of the volume of blood contained within these particular vessels divided by their compliance, right? Pressure is volume divided by, by, divided by compliance. If mean arterial pressure is tightly regulated, that means it doesn't vary very much. And if it doesn't vary, that means then that the volume of blood within the pressure reservoir vessels must remain relatively constant over many cardiac cycles. asterisks here over many cardiac cycles remains relatively constant right if pressure is constant then by definition the volume of blood must also remain constant if that is the case that the volume of blood remains constant over multiple cardiac cycles, then it must be true that the rate at which blood is flowing into those vessels is equal to the rate at which blood is leaving those vessels. And if you look at our diagram here, the blood that's flowing into the pressure reservoir vessels is because of the cardiac output. That's the inflow. Right? You can look at this. Here's the inflow rate. The outflow rate is the collective flow to all tissues. Here's the outflow. Those must be equal if the volume of blood in the pressure reservoir vessels remains constant. Therefore, cardiac output must be equal to the sum of blood flow to all tissues in the systemic circulation, right? That has to be the case if the volume is kept constant. The role then of the arterioles in regulating mean arterial pressure is going to come down to affecting the collective blood flow to all systemic tissues and the rate at which that occurs, which can then influence the volume of blood within the pressure reservoir vessels. We're going to talk then about the mechanisms that affect the resistance of the arterioles to affect the collective blood flow to all tissues. Right, this, the sum of blood flow to all tissues, this refers to the collective flow of blood 
out of the pressure reservoir vessels to all systemic tissues. If that collective flow rate is different from cardiac output, then that's going to affect mean arterial pressure. Okay, now to get into this a bit more, I've brought in figure 10-1 in the book. This is on page 336, which shows the distribution of cardiac output in the systemic circulation. And this is under resting conditions, so at rest. The left side of the heart, the systemic pump is pumping out at rest a cardiac output about five liters each minute. And then the question is, well, where does that five liters go? How much of it goes to the different systemic tissues? The percentages that are shown here are illustrating then this distribution. The digestive system, for example, is receiving 21% of that five liters in one minute, whereas the liver is only receiving 6%. The skin is 9%, kidneys 20%, etc. Right? That's the distribution of cardiac output. And if you notice, the distribution is not equal. Different organs. Therefore, have different flow rates. Right? That means that, let's say, for example, the flow, collective blood flow to the digestive system. And if we wanted to go further, we could say, you know, to the stomach, to the small intestine, to the large intestine, is not equal to, for example, blood flow to the skin, right? Because the percentage distribution is different. But all tissues and organs rely on mean arterial pressure for their blood flow. Mean arterial pressure is the same, right? It's the same for all tissues. So all tissues are relying on that same pressure to drive blood flow. But if their flows are different, then that must mean the resistance of the arterioles differs in different tissues. So if the flows are different, then the resistance of the arterioles differs in different tissues. And it's this difference in the resistances which is then controlling blood flow to those tissues. So the question is, what are really the factors which are affecting the resistance of the arterioles in different tissues?
Those factors, by affecting the arterioles, are going to control blood flow to the tissues, to each of those tissues. And this is largely what section 10.3 in the book is devoted to, is understanding some of these factors. So let's talk about factors affecting the resistance of the arterioles. Now, Sherwood breaks this down into two main groups, what she calls intrinsic factors. So these are effectively chemical and physical factors that occur within a tissue that affect the resistance of the arterioles only within that tissue. So it's intrinsic in that these factors are localized to a particular organ or tissue, and they only affect the resistance of the arterioles in that particular tissue. Now, a second grouping of factors are what are called the extrinsic factors that can affect the arterioles. And these are really factors that are external to a tissue that can affect the resistance of the arterioles in multiple tissues at the same time. in multiple at the same time. Now, this effectively boils down to autonomic activity to the arterioles. And by autonomic, since blood vessels are only innervated by the sympathetic neurons, it's more specifically sympathetic activity to the arterioles. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this, but I will just mention it. There are also um, some hormones that can affect the contraction of uh, the arterioles in different tissues. But our primary focus will be on how autonomic activity can affect the arterioles. I'm going to bring, just briefly mention, one other main grouping of factors. And these are what I would call the pathological factors that can affect the arterioles. That Sherwood really doesn't go into, but it's worth mentioning. Pathological factors are those that... Um, such as a severe allergy, 
for infections. These can lead to widespread um, changes in the resistance of the arterioles, which are pathological in the sense that they adversely affect cardiovascular system function. For the first two then, intrinsic factors and extrinsic factors, let me point out that the intrinsic factors are important for controlling blood flow to a tissue so that it meets the metabolic needs of the tissues, of the tissue. The extrinsic factors, on the other hand, particularly autonomic activity and certain hormones, these factors are important for helping to regulate mean arterial pressure about a set point. Right. Intrinsic factors have one functional purpose, to ensure blood flow is adequate to meet the metabolic needs of a tissue. Extrinsic factors serve a different purpose, to regulate mean arterial pressure. But both factors, even though they have different functional purposes, both factors affect the resistance of the arterioles. And it's there's an intricate balance between what the intrinsic factors do and what the extrinsic factors do uh, to ensure that both of these um, needs are met. The need for adequate blood flow to a tissue and the need to regulate mean arterial pressure. We're going to then talk about the intrinsic factors first and then we'll talk about the extrinsic factors in, in the last lecture. Intrinsic factors, Sherwood covers in the book largely from pages 345 through 348 in the book, in section 10.3. The extrinsic factors she refers to on pages 349 and 350 but then this also gets into um, the final section in the book, starting on page 365. And this is section 10.6. All right. Let's start with intrinsic factors.
And there's three different ones. The first is tissue metabolic rate. Tissue metabolic rate can affect the resistance of the arterioles. How does this work? Metabolic rate, again, remember that simply refers to the rate at which cells are consuming nutrients and oxygen and correspondingly the rate at which they are producing waste products. Nutrients are consumed through the process of metabolism to generate ATP as well as uh, other metabolites that are important for cell viability and growth. So the higher the metabolic rate, the higher the demand for nutrients, the higher the production of waste products. The way this works is that there is an increase in tissue metabolism. Tissue metabolic rate. Then the rate of oxygen consumption within the tissue goes up. And that is going to lead to a decrease in the concentration of oxygen in the interstitial fluid of that tissue. So IF for interstitial fluid. It's also going to lead to increased production of key metabolic waste products, such as carbon dioxide. So there's going to be an increase in CO2 within the interstitial fluid. Also, hydrogen ions are key waste products. And another one is adenosine. So an increase in the concentration of adenosine released into the interstitial fluid. All of these changes are important. So you can look at these and view these as key changes to the concentration of um, certain what are called metabolites. Metabolites such as oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and adenosine. When these metabolite changes occur in the interstitial fluid, this causes inhibition of the arterial smooth muscle. Within that tissue. Remember the arterioles they reside within the tissue, and so they are exposed to the interstitial fluid of that tissue. Therefore, when these metabolite changes occur, the arterial smooth muscle are exposed to these changes. And it turns out that uh, they, their contraction state is affected by these collective changes in these metabolites. And as we know, if 
there's a reduction in contraction of the arterial smooth muscle. And I'm going to continue this down here. That this is going to lead to vasodilation, meaning it's going to cause an increase in the radius of the arterioles, which is going to decrease the resistance of the arterioles, and therefore increase blood flow to the tissue. Now, the intrinsic factors then that affect the arterial resistance specifically are these key changes in these metabolites right here. Those changes are brought about by an initial disturbance. And here's our initial disturbance. which has changed the magnitude of these, very, uh, of these metabolites. It's a change in metabolic rate. When flow to the tissue goes up, this is going to increase the rate of nutrient delivery to the tissue. And it's also going to increase the rate of waste product removal from the tissue. One of those nutrients is, is oxygen. So oxygen delivery rate is going to increase, right? There's oxygen in the blood. Blood flow goes up, then the rate of oxygen delivery goes up. These metabolic waste products, then, they diffuse from the interstitial fluid into the blood. And so if the flow rate is greater, then that's going to increase the rate at which they're removed. And these waste products include carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and adenosine. Therefore, when flow rate goes up, that increase in flow is going to oppose... these changes that in the metabolites that occurred because of the increase in metabolism. If you look at this process then, this is a negative feedback loop, right? It's a negative feedback loop brought about by the initial change in a variable. And in this case, there are multiple variables that are changing. Those are these key metabolites, oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ion, and adenosine, which then produce a response. And the response is vasodilation of the arterioles, decrease in their resistance to increase blood flow. And that response opposes the change. So oxygen levels are going to increase back towards what they were, despite the higher metabolic rate. CO2, hydrogen ion, and adenosine levels are going to decrease with as metabolic rate goes higher. Therefore, this is uh, an intrinsic regulatory system that does not involve the nervous system or the endocrine system. If you think back to one of the very first lectures that I gave in the semester, I talked about two types of regulatory systems, intrinsic and extrinsic. Well, this is an example of an intrinsic regulatory system. 
and it serves then to regulate key metabolites within the interstitial fluid about their set points. Functioning as a negative feedback loop, that regulates the concentrations of oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and adenosine about their set points within that, within the interstitial fluid of that tissue. All right, so this is a local control mechanism. It does not regulate the concentration of these metabolites in the blood, but it regulates their concentrations in the interstitial fluid of that tissue. This whole process, this negative feedback loop process, is known as active hyperemia. Active hyperemia. Hyperemia is a term that refers to a greater blood flow. The active term refers to the fact that that greater blood flow was brought about by greater tissue metabolic activity. That's active hyperemia. And this is crucial to ensure that blood flow to a tissue is adequate to meet the metabolic needs of the tissue. Right? Higher metabolic rate, higher blood flow because of this active hyperemia process. And essentially every, or the arterioles in every tissue display this phenomenon. But This is, is most prominent in tissues that show the highest changes in metabolic rate. And those tissues that show the highest changes in metabolic rate are skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle, the heart itself, and the brain. All right, so active hyperemia is most prominent in these three tissues, but it does occur and can occur in all tissues as their metabolic rate either goes up or down. Now, there is a related phenomenon that can trigger this process. So instead of tissue metabolic rate, a second cause of this is tissue ischemia that can affect the arterioles. Ischemia simply refers to a 
temporary loss of blood flow to a tissue. And there could be different reasons for uh, uh, a temporary loss of blood flow. But for what, no matter what the reason, if there is a temporary loss of blood flow, so if we have ischemia, this is our initial disturbance. Then no blood is flowing into the tissue. That's going to cause the same changes in metabolites. A decrease in oxygen, increase in carbon dioxide, an increase in hydrogen ions, an increase in adenosine within the interstitial fluid. Right, the same changes are going to be brought about if no oxygen is being delivered, but the cells within the tissue are still undergoing metabolism, they're still consuming oxygen, they're still producing these waste products, then these concentrations are going to change. And this then is going to promote the vasodilation. Now, the vasodilation of the arterioles, it will not remove the ischemia. So importantly, this will not correct or remove the ischemia. But once the ischemia is, once whatever is causing the ischemia is removed, the blood flow to that tissue will be greater than normal because of the vasodilation. So this will result in increased flow to the tissue once the cause of the ischemia is removed. So this is a very similar in terms process, right? In terms of affecting the resistance of the arterioles. It's the same changes, which brings about the same negative feedback loop to regulate the concentration of these metabolites about their set point. So this is going to then oppose these changes. This process is called reactive hyperemia. rather than active hyperemia. It's reactive because the arterioles are reacting to the ischemia. There is no active change in metabolic rate, and that then leads to a greater blood flow once the ischemia, uh, once the cause of the ischemia is removed. Now, the third process that can bring about a change in the resistance of the arterioles is what's referred to as the, um, well, why don't I do this? And actually, a change in mean arterial pressure can be a disturbance which affects the arterioles in some tissues.
but only a, a, only two tissues display this effect. So the arterioles within the brain and the kidneys show this response. So this is a rather unique phenomenon to the brain arterioles and the kidney arterioles in response to a change in mean arterial pressure. So I'm pretty much out of time right now. So I'll finish this off talking about this phenomenon next time. And then we will finish off the course in our final lecture by talking about how extrinsic control of the arterioles through sympathetic activity can help regulate mean arterial pressure.